How's your soul this morning? Well, what's that soul? That's a sort of part inside of us, isn't it? It's a whole, it's a tricky thing to sort of think. It's sort of a combination of mind and feelings. It's a, it's a particular part of us, particularly that it responds to God and how we live in this world as God's people. And it can be a challenge to have a well soul because uh, when I read the news or see the news, there's so many things, uh, alarming things happening in Hawkesbury, Sydney, Australia, the world uh, that are really ugly and bad and wrong. And I think, what a corrupt place the world can be. We saw that, in, we've been looking at a series in 2 Peter, and we saw that, that Peter says that the world is corrupt. We just keep seeing that, don't we? And there's always things going on in uh, relationships and in your own life that uh, you can sometimes focus on and they can become uh, the focus. And we're going to look at Colossians today. We're starting a series on Colossians and we're going to talk seeing Paul who is in prison when he writes this letter. And you won't really know that except if you go to the second last verse you see a little reference he's in chains. He doesn't make any deal of it at all. He puts it behind and, and just writes to the people to encourage them and strengthen them. And Paul is the sort of, you heard of a glass half full, glass half empty idea of how you look at the world, whether you look at seeing what you've got or whether you look at seeing what you haven't got. Paul's definitely a glass half full. He's always seeing what he's got and, and enjoying what he's got, even though he's in prison. And that's the idea of a worldview of how we look at the world, how we get up in the morning and how we look at the day, whether we see the things we've got and enjoy them and go forward or whether we see the things that we haven't got or haven't been done or need to be done and we sort of get concerned about those and moving towards them. How do we have a balance? How can we have a balance in how we look at our world? How can we have what Paul had? He could be in prison, but that doesn't overcome him. He could be in chains facing possible and probable death but be thinking about other people. How can we have that? Because if we had that, what would stop us? What would take away our joy? What would take away our optimism? What would take away our hope? Nothing. How can we have some of that? We want to look at that today. So we look at the beginning of Paul. Paul's writing to the church of Colossae. Um, we see, already said that he's in, in prison, but there's no hint of that as he starts his letter. He talks to them in verse 2, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters, obviously, in Christ at Colossae. Uh, they're holy. The word there is actually uh, means saints. And they're people who have been separated apart from the world, who are living for God. They belong to God. And uh, they call some faithful brothers. Their response of being holy and recognising they now belong to God is to be living out a faithful response to God. And their brothers and sisters, they recognise they're in the family of God as they're living this out. Holy and faithful brothers in Christ. Christ is going to be mentioned 26 times in just four chapters. Paul is really Christ-centred, Christ-focused. And he's going to start straight away in verse 3. He's done the introduction. He's going to start straight away. We always thank God the Father for our, of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Always. 
Does that mean literally all the time? No, but it means that he's continually offering his thanks in his multitude of prayers. And Paul really has a prayer ministry. He's stuck in prison. He's doing a lot of praying. He's also writing or getting these letters written for him by Luke and others who come in and write them down. But Paul values prayer because Paul knows it's not his great ability as a speaker or other people who do things. It's God who's behind the whole movement in the church, the whole movement towards Jesus Christ and the growth of the church, which he's going to write about. He knows it's God. And he's thanking God. He's thanking God that God has worked in them. And this is real gratitude because people of other religions will offer thanks to God, but, or their gods, but they'll be wanting to offer thanks, hoping that next time around they'll get something better. They try and earn some better response. But this is something that's coming from a very genuine heart. It's an outward expression of true feelings towards God. Um, Paul knows that he was going completely the wrong way in life and God stopped him and turned him around. He forever knows that he is saved by God's grace, God's unmerited favour to him. And he wants to encourage his readers in the same way. Verse 4. He says to them, Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. Um, The idea of, of faith and love going together. And the the faith is um, wanting to please God and and respond and live a life that loves God and loves one another. But under faith, can we have this slide? Oh, I didn't give it to you. Don't worry about it. You can't give it to me. Just stay there. (laughs) Sorry I failed to give you the slide. Um, It should be on your sheet. Is it a faith and love and hope on your sheet? little equation? Um, Look at that. Uh, Because faith and love don't stand by themselves. Uh, Faith and love are important in our life as followers of Jesus. They're vital, but also vital is hope because hope undergirds faith and love. Hope just gives us the ability to keep going forward uh, when life is tough and life is hard and and things are challenging. Hope just helps to fuel our faith and love and they all go together. Paul will link them in the references you have on your sheet in Romans and Corinthians and Galatians and Thessalonians. Paul will link them as how they are going together, how they're all important to each other. And this hope is a distinctive part of the Christian life because when things go wrong and people are going to uh, lose their their, uh, ability to trust their gods or trust themselves or trust other people or trust society or whatever they trust, the people who follow Jesus Christ are going to be marked by an enduring hope even when things are falling apart, a hope that's not relying on the world. It's relying on a great God who created us. And so we're going to be people who, we should be people who are marked by hope. A hope in Jesus Christ. And this is not wishful thinking that things will go well. It's a firm assurance. It's based on facts. It's based on the fact that Jesus is God-made man, that Jesus Christ died on the cross taking the punishment we deserve so we can be forgiven, that God so loved us that he did that. Jesus so loved us that he took our punishment and suffered and died. And then he rose again from the dead, opening up eternal life to us. And it's a hope that's based in sure facts by which we go forward. So hope is going to be a distinctive mark of who we are as a people of God. Hope in the gospel. 
Then he goes on to talk in verse 6 about this dynamic and powerful message, the gospel, of the good news of Jesus. Verse 6, all over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard and understood it by God's grace in all its truth. It's a, it's a powerful message. Um, it's going all over the world. It's all over the Roman world at that time. That's the world they're talking about, not the, the whole world as in a sphere, uh, but the Roman world, the known world that time. And they're doing what Jesus said because Jesus commissioned his disciples. At the end of Matthew, he commissioned to go and take uh, the, 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 his message to all nations. And so they've been doing that. And Paul's asserting to the Colossian church uh, that this is not something, it's just a local thing, it's not just a regional thing, it's a worldwide ministry, a worldwide uh, church that you belong to. And it's the dynamic and powerful word of truth that has come to you. Progress of the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is being talked in personal terms. It's about a person, it's about Jesus Christ. And uh, it's, it's powerful and far-reaching. We read in the Romans, reading in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it's the, the, the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It saves people. The Anglican Church does not save people. I do not save people. Missionary organisations do not save people. No institution will save people. Good works will not save us. But the gospel, the message of Jesus saves. As people hear it and respond to it, then they are saved. Saved from the wrath of God and joined to God's family. And it goes on to say this is bearing fruit and growing across the world. It's spreading out. It's, it's increasing the number of people who are responding, who are being converted as they respond to this message. Verse 7 talks about they heard it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf who told us of your love in the Spirit. Uh, Paul hasn't met the Colossians, uh, but he's heard about it from Epaphras. Uh, Epaphras was an evangelist in nearby Laodicea and Aeropolis in uh, chapter 4, verse 13, 12 and 13. We'll read more about him. Um, and he went to, went to Rome and told Paul about this Colossi church and what's happening there. And so Paul's writing to encourage them. Verse 9, again he says about praying. For this reason, the, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying. Uh, prayer is just important. Prayer is not just important because Paul, because he's stuck in prison, that's all he can do. Uh, prayer is important to Paul all the time because it's his dependence on God, it's recognising God's in control, it's accepting the, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and prayer. Uh, it challenges me as I read this, do I pray enough? Yeah, and can we pray more? Should we pray more? Who are we praying about too? What's he pray for? not just important to pray but what do you pray for look at the second part of verse 9 and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding God's will knowledge of God's will we pray that in the Lord's prayer your will be done we want God's will to be done on earth we want God's will to be done in our lives what is God's will Paul's asking they might have knowledge of that 
Well, Jesus in John chapter 14 to 16, uh, before he went up, he told his disciples he's going to send the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to teach you and lead you in. It's a spirit of truth will lead you into the truth and more about the truth. And so what did the disciples do? By the power of the Holy Spirit, they've given us the New Testament. Where we have this knowledge, where we have the truth, the word of truth written down for us. And so the Bible contains all this knowledge that we need to know about God. Remember, Paul's dealing and Peter and all those guys are dealing with at that time, and we do with it today. People are saying, yes, you can have the Bible, but you need to know these other things. You need to have these other experiences. You need to have this extra insight. You need this, and you don't need it. Because when you do need those, it takes away from the fact that Jesus Christ is all you need. And to know him more and submit more to him and have a greater love for him and a love for his people. And so this knowledge that Paul's praying for here, he's going to show it's very practical knowledge. It's going to have outworkings. Look what he says is going to happen after verse 9. In verse 10, he says, And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way. Live a life worthy of the Lord. Uh, We've taken uh, from that another place in the Bible our motto, living lives for Jesus. Uh, The way we live is going to be in a way that's going to please the Lord and it's going to be for the Lord, please Jesus and for Jesus. And people hopefully will see that. We want to please him in every way. That's our goal. Same as here in what's being said in Colossians. Please him in every way. Bearing fruit in every good work. Uh, Growing in the knowledge of God. This living a life worthy of the Lord, this knowledge that we have is not just going to be academic knowledge stuck in our head that we all know, we're all puffed up, we're really clever about it. No, it's going to be knowledge that translates into how we make decisions and how we live each day. The values we have, the response we make, what we do, our priorities in life, where we're going, who we have relationships with, what those relationships look like, they're all going to be determined by this knowledge. And so that's going to, because we're wanting to please Jesus in what we do, that's going to result in something visible that people can see in us, bearing fruit. It goes on to say, beyond that, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Strengthened by God. Strengthened by God so that as we're living a life worthy of the Lord, as we're wanting to bear fruit and and please Jesus in all that we do, we're going to be strengthened to do that because it's going to require great endurance and patience. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. Challenging because we've got a worldly body with all its weaknesses and health issues and stuff and, and insecurities. We've got people around us with the same things. We live in a society that's corrupt and focused on God and it's challenging to follow Jesus. All these things are going to mean that we're going to need to be strengthened to endure and have patience as we live a life worthy of our Lord. And I like what it says in verse 12 because I think verse 12 is important. Our attitude to all this, how we're going to do it, giving thanks, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Joyfully giving thanks. We're not going to do this begrudgingly. We've got to do it. It's our duty. We're going to do it because we want to do it. 
We recognise what God has done to us. We're the optimists. We see the glass half full. No, we see more than half full. We're going to see it full. We're going to say, wow, look what God has given me. I want to, I want to joyfully celebrate my God. I want to thank him for how I, by the, how I live and what I do. I want to just thank God. So the rest of my life is just going to be thanking God by the way I live. And I'm just going to be a person with great joy. Joy, not in what's... Do you think Paul had joy in being stuck in prison? being chained up, facing death? No. He had joy in what God has done for him, in Jesus Christ. And all these other things are trivial. That's the most important thing. And that's the overriding thing. So that's the source of his joy, the source of his feelings, the source of his response. What about us? I know I'd like that. I can find out my response goes up and down sometimes. What about you? But if we can realise how much God has given us in Jesus and that far exceeds everything else that's going to happen to us, yes, we still recognise the little things that come and we need to deal with them. We can't ignore them sometimes. It's right and proper to deal with them. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes we need to overlook them. But behind that, will we be so impressed with what God has done for us that we all just want to have a joyful thanksgiving to God? He goes on to say a bit more about this joyfully giving thanks to God. He talks about four reasons for it. First of all, he says, we're qualified to share the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. We're qualified to share the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. The end of verse 12. We got inheritance. We're actually already part of heaven. We're going to uh, share in that eternal kingdom in Jesus Christ, we've already got that. It's waiting there for us. He goes on to say, verse 13, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness. We've been rescued from the, the dominion of darkness. In the original language, it's talking about uh, being transferred from one realm of authority to another. The realm of authority where Satan is, is doing things and, and, and it's the world now where he's causing all horrible things to happen and, and he's just having a, a field day trying to wreck up things. The dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his son he loves. We've been transferred already into the kingdom of the son he loves. We belong to Jesus. We belong to Jesus' kingdom. Even though we still live in this world where the devil does things, we're now part of the kingdom of Jesus. And in this kingdom, I like what it says in verse 14, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. We're not in this kingdom because we're good guys. We're not in this kingdom because you know, God needs us and we're going to make a big difference in this kingdom. We're in this kingdom because God has ransomed us. He's redeemed us by Jesus dying on the cross and, and taking away our punishment, giving us the forgiveness of sins so that we can now be part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And that's what God has done for us. And particularly that bottom line really hammers home to me. Wow. God loves me so much he would redeem me. He would ransom me. He would forgive me. He's transferred me into this kingdom. And I've got so much to live for. I've got so much to be joyful and thank God for. So what's our response going to be? We've got faith. We recognise who Jesus is, Son of God. We recognise that he's died on the cross. We recognise that he's the only way to be forgiven. 
We respond to Jesus. We ask forgiveness. We then want to go on and, and love Jesus and love other people in response to that. And that's all being fueled by the hope that we have because if Jesus rose from the dead, we, we have a certain sure hope that he's got a kingdom that's going to come, that he triumphs over all, that he's going to be victorious, that nothing's going to hold him back, and we're going to be part of it. And so what's our response going to be now as the challenges come up today? And they will come, I guarantee they'll come. As the challenges come, what's our response going to be? Some we can just say, no, nah, don't worry about that. But all of them, we're going to pray. All of them, we should be prayerful people. And if things come up, we need to pray and recognise, do I need to do something? Do I not need to do something? And if I need to do something, how will I do it? Will I do it joyfully giving thanks to God? Will I do it joyfully relying on God, celebrating I belong to Jesus, and then deal with it in God's power, in God's strength, with endurance and patience? I hope we do. And remember, in all this, we need to be people who, who are marked out amongst ourselves and amongst the people around us that we live for Jesus. He's transformed us and that's going to be seen in living a life worthy of him in our attitude to whatever comes. And so maybe we can be... Maybe we can just take something from Paul. His response in prison. We don't want to. We don't want to hold Paul up as as the you know, be like Paul. We don't want to be like Paul. We want to be like Jesus. But Paul could look at Jesus and get this response. Can we do the same? Can we have such a look at Jesus that even if we're in prison, we'd still be joyfully giving thanks to God? Wow. I don't think I'm going to face prison today. don't think you are going to face prison either. Nothing as bad as that, maybe. But what about the other things? Won't that make a difference to them? Let me pray. God, this is a challenge for many of us. Uh, we can often be people who slip into a, a pessimistic view of world, seeing what's not there and what's not right and and focusing on that. Help us to be people who, who are more optimistic. And optimistic not just because we, we hope it will go well, but because we have a sure and certain hope in Jesus. Because of our faith in Jesus, our love for you, and our love for all people, and our hope of the future in Jesus Christ. Let us be people who celebrate with joy and who face the world with optimism who uh, don't overlook what's going on, still deal with what's happening if we need to, but don't get overcome by this world. And we pray in your great name. Amen.